Last week, during a meandering news conference, President Trump declared a national emergency at the country's southern border. So we're going to be signing today and registering national emergency. And it's a great thing to do. In that Rose Garden appearance, the president made his case for why a crisis at the border demanded the urgent response of reallocating Defense Department funding, through taxpayer dollars, to build a wall. Though he offered little empirical evidence to justify his claim. And he also acknowledged that it would likely be challenged. We'll have a national emergency, and we will then be sued, and they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit. Well, uh, he was right. Pretty swiftly after Trump declared the emergency on Friday, 16 states filed a federal lawsuit. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi urged Congress to pass a joint resolution to block the emergency. So what exactly do these challenges look like as Trump tries to move forward with building his wall? And what's stopping him from taking a shovel down to the border and getting this thing started? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. The lawsuit filed from several states on Monday argues that the president's decision to declare an emergency to fund his wall is unconstitutional. The central argument of the litigation is that the Constitution says that no monies may be spent without a specific appropriation by Congress. The Post's legal affairs reporter, Fred Barbash, is back on the show. He explained what the suit argues in terms of reallocating funding that Congress has appropriated for other projects. In other words, you can't just go, even if a law says you can, you can't just go and move money around if Congress hasn't actually approved that. That's the power of the purse, and it is the greatest weapon the framers provided to the Congress to guard against the encroachment of the executive and is also a central premise of what we call separation of powers, which is is kind of the backbone. Even though the word's never used in the Constitution, that is the backbone of the Constitution. So that's the big constitutional argument. So essentially, Trump is saying, I want this money, but I can't get it from Congress. So I'm going to demand it else. I'm going to I'm going to spend the money we have the way I want to, even though Congress hasn't authorized it. Okay, so then beyond that particular point about appropriating money, what are some of the other problems that the complaint raises? Well, the most important one is the definition of emergency. The president is acting under a law called the National Emergencies Act, which allows him, uh, any president, to declare a so-called state of emergency for a variety of purposes under specific laws, different laws for different things. But it doesn't provide a definition of of what an emergency is. It's left to the imagination or to the president. And under normal circumstances, The courts would probably defer to a president as they traditionally have, but these are not normal circumstances. And that's what the litigants say, that there is no emergency as we normally understand the term. Right. And they even go further to say that customs and border protection data show that unlawful entries are near 45-year lows. 
Right. Uh, they say that. But if you read the president's proclamation, he's not talking about he's talking about things like the flow of drugs, for example, and the unaccompanied children. So he's very carefully, maybe not so much in his news conference, but in the actual proclamation, he's not been quite as, shall we say, uh, stream of consciousness in his definition of an emergency. And his lawyers will urge the courts to use the proclamation, not Trump's kind of a rambling news conference, to justify the emergency. Does data support the claims that are actually made in Trump's executive action then? That's a matter of dispute. The critics say it's just the opposite uh, in some of the categories, that the flow of illegal immigrants has declined rather than increased. And they say that the drug crime, that the, the import of illegal drugs into the United States is coming through the regular checkpoints and therefore the notion that a wall would prevent that from happening is not rational because they're not just streaming across the desert and the the Rio Grande River. They're going through the checkpoints, flying in airplanes, coming in on boats. And so they would argue that while there is a heavy, may indeed be a heavy flow of drugs into the United States, the wall wouldn't solve that problem. A, B, it's not an emergency. It's been happening for a long time. That's another one of their arguments, that these are long-standing problems that everybody, including President Trump, have spoken about for years. And to call suddenly an emergency uh, without any sort of immediate, obvious crisis, normally an emergency in, in under that have been – and there have been many emergencies declared there for sudden events uh, – Hurricanes, uh, wars, uh, sanctions on countries with whom we've suddenly gone to war with or mm -hmm. are suddenly on a war footing with. That's what those laws, those emergency laws have been used for rather than for something that's kind of been festering around for 25 years. Can we talk about exactly what this lawsuit means in terms of Trump now being able to reallocate money for the wall? Does he have to stop any? No, he, no, any he, he doesn't. It means nothing until a judge says it means something. Which is, which will be when we don't know. Uh, he's the it first. The first order of business is getting a response from the administration, and then there are lots of other issues they have to deal with. Do these people have a right to sue? Do they have standing to sue, which means they have to show some potential harm? And once – if a judge gets through all of that, if, he, if a judge finds that these people have a right to sue, which isn't easy to do, and that the president's emergency, shall we say, is bogus mm -hmm. or is not real – or that he's misusing the law in some way, then the judge can issue an order, a temporary restraining order, and hold up whatever it is the president is doing at the time, if indeed the president is doing anything. That's the other thing here that's really interesting. Under the law, there has to be something for a court to stop or remedy. It can't just be an abstraction. So the administration has to be doing something that can be stopped in order for a judge to issue an order saying stop doing it. For example, in the ban on transgenders in the military, 
the administration in its in its first court cases say we haven't issued any ban. There's been only a tweet. So there's nothing for you to stop. But in this case, there has been a proclamation. There's only a proclamation, but there's no concrete, or there's literally no concrete being poured or mm-hmm. whatever the wall is going to be made of. A judge might, a judge who's so inclined might say, there's nothing going on here. There's nothing to see. Come back when somebody's shoveling lifts a shovel to build a wall and we'll talk about it then or come back when somebody's property is condemned or the government comes around and wants to take somebody's property. So these are all uh, interesting possibilities. The issuance of the proclamation itself, what you see in the lawsuit brought by the state of California and the other states, and they're very careful in their wording, is that what they are suing about at this moment is the threat of something rather than a something because the something isn't happening yet. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. So during Trump's announcement of his decision to issue a national emergency, he laid out this transaction that was going to happen with this case as it moved through the court. And we will have a national emergency and we will then be sued and they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling and then we'll get another bad ruling and then we'll end up in the Supreme Court and hopefully we'll get a fair shake and we'll win in the Supreme Court, just like the ban. What will that process actually look like? Let's say that the the Ninth Circuit decides to take this up or this judge rules that enough has happened for this case to move forward. Okay. What? How does that it look It starts, like? the cases always start at the district court level, which is the lowest level of the federal court system. If a judge in a district court, for example, this suit was filed in the Northern District of California. If a judge in that court, say, issues an injunction to stop whatever it is Trump is doing, it would then go to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. That court would issue a judgment either upholding or overturning or modifying what the lower court did. In that event, it would the, would probably go to the Supreme Court, first to an individual justice if there were an order, and the justice would be asked to stop to stay that order, and then to the full court itself. It's a long, long process. It could go on for some time. Mm-hmm. People should not expect something next week or the week after. Mm-hmm. But if it does make it up to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court has a major decision to make. Possibly, yes. Yeah. And what would be some of the consequences in terms of precedent? Here's the big one. If they rule that in the face of all of the what litigants are saying are lame explanations for an emergency and in the face of all of his comments, I don't really need this, in the face of all those arguments, 
what the Supreme Court historically has said is we defer to the president on issues involving national security, defense, the military, and we're going to defer to him now because that's the law. That's the precedent. If they do that, that is setting an enormous precedent for the future, for future presidents. It's why a lot of conservatives who actually favor the wall are concerned about this case because they see if the Supreme Court says it's the president's definition of an emergency that counts, not your definition of an emergency, that means some Democratic president can come in and do the same thing. Now, if the court goes the other way and says the president has not sufficiently justified this, that's a blow to future presidents. Uh, it means they're going to have to make a st- they would have to make a stronger showing when they come in with these declarations of emergency and provide some more solid evidence than what this administration has provided. The other thing the court could do is say we're not going to rule on this as a political issue between Congress and the White House. It's not our place to get involved in that. It's called the political question doctrine. That would also be an extremely important ruling. Any way this this goes down, it's going to be important. Right. And to be clear, previous presidents have pushed against the boundaries of presidential power through executive action. Every one of them. Right. Every president wants that's as much power they, as he can get. That's what they do. And what happens is they get frustrated. Congress mm-hmm. moves slowly or their lawyers tell them that if they wait for Congress to do something, they're giving up too much power, too much constitutional presidential power. Uh, So they push the envelope and all of them with varying results depending on the case. Harry Truman's seizure of steel plants got struck down by the Supreme Court. President Obama's attempt to extend an immigration kind of amnesty or temporary amnesty to adults got struck down because they said he exceeded his authority. Normally, in most cases, the court does not strike the pre- down the president's actions because the presidency is a co-equal branch of government. Okay. So that's the lawsuit coming from the states. But there are also lawsuits that might be coming from nonprofit organizations and advocacy groups. ACLU is filing, for example. Yeah. And how does that fit into this calculation? It's, I think they'll make the same arguments. Uh, they'll probably be in different courts. That's part of a strategy of finding enough forums. Fora, I believe, is the plural of forum. <laughs> so that uh, the more places you go, the more chance you have of getting a judge to go with your argument. So rather than all going to one place and taking a risk there. So there's going to be – there's already, I think, three lawsuits filed. My prediction is that within – week, two weeks, there'll be maybe 10 or 11. And then once they start, if they actually start doing something, then you're going to have lawsuits. Actually, we already have some from landowners down there who say, oh, they're coming to take my land. So they are, they're bringing lawsuits as well. Those are some of the legal threats that the president is already facing as he tries to fulfill his signature campaign promise. But he's also facing a challenge from that other branch of our government, Congress. 
House Democrats have said they plan to file a resolution Friday that will attempt to block Trump's emergency declaration. That resolution will argue that Congress and only Congress, not the president, has the authority to appropriate money. It would first have to pass the House, which is likely, given the Democratic majority there, And it would then have to pass the Senate. That's less likely, given its Republican majority. But Fred says it's not impossible. No, some people think there's enough votes to actually pass the joint resolution. But I haven't heard anybody knowledgeable say there are enough votes to override the president's veto. If Congress were to get enough votes to pass the resolution, it would then need to be signed by the president, the very person who issued the emergency declaration to begin with. And the only way to proceed then without the president's signature? You need a supermajority to override the president's veto, whereas you only need a simple majority to pass a resolution. That veto-proof majority would require a two-thirds vote in each chamber of Congress, something that's happened pretty rarely in history. These various legal and congressional challenges are making their way through the system. But for now, it's not those challenges that are blocking the president from getting started on his wall. He has a clear go-ahead now. He doesn't need to wait for the courts. It's up to the court. It's up to the—that's what the litigants are trying to stop. Until somebody says no and stops him, he could go down there, they could go down there today. What's going to hold things up is, well, now the Defense Department, for example, has to move some money around and say, okay, Mr. President, we've moved the money around and the shovel, we've got the the equipment in place, we're ready to go. That's the only thing standing between implementation of these orders uh, and actual building of something is the bureaucracy that they have to go through to do it at this time. In the absence of a court order or a restraining order or a veto-proof vote by Congress, there is absolutely nothing to stop him from going ahead. He could go that down there today with a shovel. All right, Fred, thank you so much You're for laying very this out This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Tell us what you like and don't like about the show. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Allison Mikes or our producer Carol Alderman on Twitter at I am Carol Beth. Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the indefatigable Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon.